So uh, good morning. Uh, again, as we continue this theme that we've had for the last two weeks, now three weeks, uh, I am not Jason. Um, he uh, should be traveling today to head back home, um, back here. Um, but uh, until then, you have yet another temporary fill-in. And so this morning, what I've decided to do is to mesh my two worlds together. Um, this morning, uh, the sermon series that we're doing this morning is a sermon series that I've had with my students all year, which is um, the theme of Stay on the Wall. That's been our overarching theme for the year. That, that comes from Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, where in Nehemiah we see um, how Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. And when he's in chapter 6, the, the distractors who continue to try to get him to stop building the wall um, come his way and try to get him to come down off the wall. And he says, I'm not coming down off the wall. I have a work to do. I'm going to accomplish the task that, um, that I've been given. And so uh, we've allowed that to be our theme, to, to remind us and to encourage us to stay on the wall, to stay in our faith, to stay in our relationship with God and not to step down, uh, not to get distracted uh, by the many things that come our way to, that we get distracted by. Um, and so I've, I've meshed those two worlds together, and so you're going to get a taste of uh, what my students have to deal with every single week with me. Um, and actually, as I was preparing this sermon, we're going to be in Luke 11, so uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screen, but if you're old school and you want to, like me, if you want to flip open your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 11 this morning. There are no sermon notes this morning, as you can tell, because I was struggling to get it done in time. Um, so you get the whole back of the bulletin, you know, let the Spirit lead you, and just right away, um, it was all planned, right? Um, but as I was planning this, uh, I found myself looking um, before chapter 11, you see the story of Martha and Mary, and how with that story, uh, uh, Jesus is in the home with Martha and Mary, and uh, Martha, it says in verse 40 in chapter 10, it says, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And Jesus gives that encouraging word to Martha, saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has made the right choice. And so when, when I started thinking about that, it, it goes right along with our theme that we get distracted by so many things that come away in our life. So many uh, good things, so many bad things, temptations come along and distract us. And so the call um, that we've been given and I've been given to my students is that we stay on the wall and not get caught up in the distractions of our life, but that we stay firm in our relationship with God and uh, continue to walk in relationship with Him. Um, in 1990... Uh, Garth Brooks came out with this hit song called Unanswered Prayers. And uh, it says, um, there we go. It says, sometimes the chorus of that song goes, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Oh, I'm sorry, it's country. He don't care. There it is. Some of God's greatest gifts our unanswered prayers. And I, I, shoot, while reading that, I almost start to sing it because that tune is in my head as I uh, read those words. Uh, I was a big Garth Brooks fan back in my days, back in middle school. Um, it makes for a great song. It makes for a great song, but it does not make for great theology. Um, our, our title for this sermon today is called Followers of Jesus Come to Jesus Expecting Answered Prayers. Followers of Jesus come to Jesus expecting answered prayers. Um, every single week as we're going through this sermon series, our title is something along the lines of followers of Jesus obey Jesus. Followers of Jesus find their contentment in Jesus. Followers of Jesus worship Jesus. Very simple statements, but we allow the, the gospel of Luke to encourage us in multiple ways as we're trying to stay on the wall. And so this morning, the theme is followers of Jesus come to Jesus expecting answered prayers. And so we're going to see that in verses 15 through 13, excuse me, 5 through 13 of chapter 11, chapter 11. And this is coming right after the Lord's prayer. So Jesus has just modeled a Lord's prayer, and then he gets into um, the, um, 
uh, going deeper into the asking. And when I got into this, I've heard this before, but it, it started to make me question. Not, um, one of the things that we talk about is when it comes to prayer, we spend a lot of time focusing on us asking God of things. And when we see the model that Jesus gives us, um, we start off with, you know, hallowed be thy name. How holy is your name, right? We, we adore God for who he is, and we come to him with a heart of thanksgiving. We come to him confessing our sins, um, and then we end up asking God for what we, we need. That's the kind of the model that I give, the Acts model, adore, confess, thanks, and then supplication. Um, but in my mind, Jesus would have spent a lot more time diving deep into um, uh, let's revere and hold up the name of God, or let's 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 spend let's get deep into thanking God. Um, uh, let's get deep into your confession of sins. But Jesus chooses to go deeper into what it looks like, uh, and what it um, what it what it looks like, and what it sounds like to actually ask God. What is, what does that look like? What does He expect of us when we're asking God things from our prayer life? And so. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to arrest ourselves in those verses. So we're going to break it up in half. We're going to go through verses 5 through 8 first. So the first point we see is that followers of Jesus come to Jesus. So first, when we're thinking about prayer, we, we come to Jesus as followers of Jesus. We see this story in verses 5 through 8. This is an illustration that Jesus gives to, before he makes this point, like he always does. So in verses 5 through 8, it says, that Jesus also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence or shameless persistence or the boldness and nerve, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. We see that, that, that this picture is not a um, direct correlation between the story and God. It's not an apples to apples. He uses it as an example to show the heart of what he's wanting us to get because God is not a God who's going to, when we come to him in prayer, our God is not a God that goes, leave me alone, right, Does this, as this neighbor does. So this is not a direct correlation of who God is, but he's showing the heart and tension of what he wants us to have. He wants to answer our prayers, but he wants us to have a heart that we recognize how much we need him. So when we come as followers of Jesus, coming to Jesus, uh, the first thing we see here is that we come with a need. Um, we come with a need that we cannot solve on our own. Right? We see in verse 5 through 6, the story that he gives is this man who this guy shows up at his house and he needs to provide him some food and he has nothing to give him. And so he comes to his neighbor saying, please give me food. I have nothing to give my, neighbor, my friend who just showed up. It's a need that he had no ability on his own to fix, to solve. And, and, and we need to recognize as believers that there's a lot of areas of our life that we desperately need the Lord to come into our life and step in to solve. And one of the issues that we have as, as American Christians is we've, we have this society that, we've, that we have built up that's based upon independence, Right, this idea of I can I can fix this on my own. I can I can I can always figure out a way to solve this issue. I don't need help. I'm going to fix it. But God is a God that says we are desperately in need of many things. We are we are a wretched people. We are totally messed up, and we need God to step into our life to um, to rescue us, to help us, and we need God more than we I think we actually realize we need Him. So we have to have a heart that says, I'm going to come to Jesus on a regular basis because there's lots of areas of my life where I'm in need. I have a lot of areas where I'm just struggling. There's a lot of areas where I don't know the answer. I don't know what to do. I need to accomplish something, but I don't know. I don't have the ability or the strength to figure this out. I'm going to come to Jesus. We have to have the heart intention of regularly coming to Jesus. 
But second, in verses 7 through 8, we see that um, not only do we need to come to Jesus um, to solve something that we can't fix on our own, but we boldly come to him no matter the time, no matter the place. We shamelessly just come before God and make our plea. This story, this guy is stepping into, he's knocking on the door at midnight at this other guy's house. You know, if it was me, um, I would have been like, let's just wait till 8 o'clock in the morning, and then I'll knock on that guy's door. You could be hungry, right? You can wait eight hours, right? Just, just, just suck it up. Have a little grit. I'll feed you in the morning. Um, but the story that Jesus gives is, is a story where the guy shows up at midnight. He, he shamelessly comes, and he, he's begging, I need food to give to my, my, my friend. And as Christians, we, we need to come to Jesus with this plea that we recognize, I have nowhere else to turn but Jesus. There is no one else that can fix this but Jesus and Jesus alone. And I'm going to come to you with this urgency and this passion within me that God answer this prayer because I need help and you're the only one that can fix this. Right, this, this, this the picture here of Jesus is a picture of, <clears throat> he's given, is a picture of just this this urgency and this shamelessly just begging before God, God, I need you to step in because I cannot do this. But our, our again, as people, we, like, we throw it to God and then we quickly turn around and we try to fix it on our own. But we need to have a heart that just boldly comes before the throne and says, you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords, you're the creator of all things. I'm coming to you and you alone. Please step in. Please step in, please step in and give me the rescue that I so desperately need. Please give me the answer I so desperately need. So as followers of Jesus, we come to Jesus. And that might seem like a simple point, but I feel like, again, I feel like, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, I feel like we get in such a routine in life that we have so many things in our life figured out that we just ask for simple things from God, but most things we feel like we can accomplish on our own power and ability. There's a lot of things we feel like, oh, we got that. I got that taken care of. All I really need is for God just to maybe bring the people. And then I, we, can, we get the music taken care of, and we get the speaker taken care of, and we got this taken care of. And God, you just bring the people, and we got everything else taken care of. But if God doesn't show up, it's all for nothing, right? And we desperately need God for everything, for it all. And we need to continuously and constantly come to Jesus in prayer because, if again, if he doesn't show up, then it's all for nothing. So followers of Jesus, come to Jesus. But then, but then the second point is followers of Jesus expect answered prayers. And I love this because I feel like we're all guilty of this. In verses 9 uh, through 13, so 9 through 13 says, So I say to you, ask, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we see here that as followers of Jesus, we expect answered prayers. Verses 9 through 10, so, so as we go through this, we're going to look at how this continues um, to grow um, and, and become more of a specific thing that, that Jesus is trying to teach us. So first general statement in verses 9 through 10 is just that we expect an answer. We expect an answer. He says, if we ask, we should receive. If we knock, the door will be open. If we search, we will find, period. We should expect God to answer. Right? James 1, 5 through 8 uh, illustrates this. When, when James is... <clears throat> when James is... Uh, Talking, to, uh, writing this letter to these people who are struggling and in great difficulty, he says, now if, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And God gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But 
Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. So we should expect an answer, but if we go to the Lord in prayer and then doubt, we should expect a non-answer. We should expect not to receive what we're asking for. He says we should come to him in prayer expecting he's going to answer. And we should have the, the, the trust in God, and we should have the boldness to be able to say, I'm coming before God, and I'm going to make my plea, and I'm going to believe that he's going to answer this prayer. And I'm not going to doubt, and I'm not going to question, and I'm not going to waver, and I'm not going to turn around after my prayer and start trying to figure out how to fix this problem just in case God doesn't show up. We should expect God to show up. We should go to prayer with this hard intention that God's going to answer the prayer. Doubters can expect no answer. But if we sit with Jesus, like we looked at the very beginning, like Mary sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus, not distracted like Martha was. If we sit with Jesus, we can expect not only that he's going to answer, but that we're going to see his answer. A lot of times he answers, but because we're so focused on so many other things, we don't even see where he's answered. Does that make sense? So, so often we've prayed for something, but then we're so caught up in life and distractions that God answers something and we didn't even see it. We don't even recognize it. He's like, I showed up. You were so caught off in your own little world that you didn't even see where I showed up. And he wants us to abide with him and walk with him in such a way that when he shows up and he answers, we see it and we glorify him. So we should expect an answer. Verses 11 and 12 then, then goes on. Not only should we expect an answer, we should expect a good answer. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. We should expect a good answer from God. Uh, in Matthew's version of this, whenever this was a different time when Jesus is teaching this lesson, because Jesus teaches a lot of lessons, and, and so Matthew records it on the Sermon on the Mount. Luke records it from a different scenario. But when, in Matthew's um, gospel, when Jesus uh, gives this lesson, uh, he says, in Matthew 6, 9 through 11. Um, no, not 9 through 11. I wrote down the wrong scriptures. Where are we at here? There it is, 7. 7, 9 through 11. There it is. What man among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we should expect not just an answer, but we should expect a good answer from our Father. Right? Romans 8.28 says uh, that he, he works in all of us, right? He works in all of, this, all of us for the good, right? All things he works for our good. And so if we should expect this Heavenly Father, as James 1 says, that all good gifts come from above, if, if, this, if we should expect to come to him in prayer and pray to him for him to answer, we should, ex we should expect the answers are good things, good for us, good for our growth, good for our endurance, good for our strength, good for our sanctification, good for us, to, for our, the glorification of our Father. He doesn't play games. Our God doesn't play games. He's in the business of listening to us and wanting to answer our prayers with good answers. I feel like our experience of asking things of people and being burned by people affects the way we come to God in prayer. God is not people, right? God wants to answer our prayers. God doesn't want to play games like people like to play games. But our God wants to answer with a good answer. He gives much better than we give to people when they ask of us. So we have to change the way we think about our God and think our God wants to answer our prayers. And he wants to answer with even better and more than what we could ever think he's going to answer. And we should expect to receive that on a regular basis. So we should expect an answer. We should expect a good answer. But then verse 13, when I read this, it threw me off. 
Because it says in the Lucan version of this uh, lesson, it says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that made me go, that's very specific. That's a very specific answer to our prayer request. And so, as I wrestled with that, not only should we expect a good answer, we should expect a holy answer. And when I say that, what I'm meaning is this response from Jesus makes me realize that I need to clarify how I'm going to God and asking him for what my request is. Now, now there's a lot of scenarios throughout Scripture of many requests. I, I looked it up as I was preparing for this, and between the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus and the, the epistle writers, there are a lot of requests made across the board, right? And so um, not everything is going the direction that I'm taking this, but I feel like sometimes we need to rethink how we're asking and what we're asking for. Too often we treat Jesus like Santa Claus. Like we're just going to come to him and we're going to ask for this and ask for this and ask for this based upon what I need right now, what I want right now, what will satisfy me right now, what will comfort me right now, what will protect me right now. And we treat Jesus as, as Santa Claus that I can just come to him and ask and ask and ask. And this, this response that he wants to give the Holy Spirit to us makes me go, what am I asking for for the response that's going to be the Holy Spirit? Right? What am I asking for? What am I expecting from God when he says he's going to give me the Holy Spirit when I pray? This clarifies my request. It, it helps me to think better about what am I actually dwelling on? Am I dwelling on my temporary residence right here, right now? Or am I dwelling on eternity and what is to come? Right? I mentioned this years ago, but John Piper wrote a book in which, in, in that book, he uses this picture of prayer, and he says, too often we treat prayer like an in-home intercom system where we're talking to the butler saying, please come and fluff my pillows, right? P please come and bring me a blanket. I'm a little bit chilly, right? I, I feel a little scared. Butler, will you please lock the front door for me just so I can feel a little bit more secure? Can you refresh in my, my coffee? It's getting a little chilly. Can you warm that up for me? And we, we, we come to God in prayer just for these little trivial things in our life so often that are just about us and for our own protection and our own comfort and our own temporary desires. But instead, we need to see prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie where we're on the front lines of battle and we're battling against the enemy and we're battling against our flesh and we're battling for the souls of lost people and we're on the front lines and we have a direct connection to headquarters saying, I need more supplies so I can continue doing the, the fighting that I'm doing. I need more supplies so I can continue at the war that I'm at. I need more supplies because there's more souls that need to be rescued. It puts a different perspective how we look at our prayer life. Do we treat it as just this intercon system to our butler, or do we see it as a wartime walkie-talkie that we are battling and we're wounded and we're hurting, but we have a job to do and we need resources that only come from headquarters, from the chief, and we're in direct connection to him? That gives some perspective to our answer that we're getting from God is the Holy Spirit. He wants to do something that only he can do in our life that is far bigger than we could ever think or imagine. So much bigger. I was at a, um, a conference one time and the speaker was speaking from John where it said that Jesus said he needed to leave so that the Holy Spirit would be given to us because we were going to do far greater things than Jesus did. And then it immediately goes into, so pray whatever and I will give it to you. And he, he, he challenged us with, we pray little prayers. We are too busy praying small prayers. And God is saying, pray big prayers. right? Pray big prayers. Pray bigger prayers than you can even think of. Maybe you think, this is ridiculous. Pray it. 
Because our God, if it's within his kingdom and within his will, he will accomplish it, right? He can accomplish the much bigger than we can ever expect, right? He can accomplish the things that are God-sized because we can't. And we get so wrapped in the small things. He's like, lay before me the biggest God vision you ever thought of and lay it at my feet and watch me do something that the Holy Spirit can do that we point and go, that was all God, right? That was all God. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But do we expect God to do that? Does it scare us? Does it make us go, that makes me uncomfortable? If God does something far bigger and greater than I could think or imagine, all of a sudden I'm in a situation going, I don't, I, I, I feel like sometimes we don't want to change too many things because we're comfortable with the way it is. And God wants to show up and do some stuff. So we should expect an answer, expect a good answer. We should expect a holy answer. And so as, as I was wrestling through this, I began to ask then, as a church, as a body of believers, what should we pray for? What should we be, be busy praying for if we can expect God to give us an answer? And one of the things I hear from people around here recently. They say it in different ways, but the word that I think of when I hear them say what they would like to see happen here, I could sum it up with one word. It's revival. We'd like to see revival here. Uh, we'd just like to see revival in this community. We'd like to see revival in this land. We'd like to see revival in this world. We'd like to see revival. We'd like to see the, a real, new life, right? We'd like to see where things are made alive. We'd like to see where things are brought back to life and awakened. We'd like to see that. We want to see that here. And so as I begin to think about, as, as, a, as an elder of this church, and as if I've heard different statements from different people that fall under the umbrella of revival, I begin to ask myself, then what should we pray for as a church on a regular basis where we're expecting a God-sized answer to something that we expect him to answer that's far bigger and greater than we can think or imagine, that fits under the umbrella of what we want here, what we want out there, what, what we want in our lives. So six things that fall under this umbrella of revival that we're, that we're praying for. The first is we should be praying about our sin. Luke 11, verse 4, right before the section we're in is the uh, Lord's Supper, or Lord, not the Lord's Supper, Lord's Prayer. It says in verse 4, forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. Before we can expect revival in this place to grow and to, to impact more people, we need to see revival in us. Amen? We need to see revival in us. We, we need to see us being serious about our sin to a place where we recognize the sin in our life that we've been hiding from other people and we've been hiding from God and we need to be honest and real about it. We, we've gotten this routine where we can come to church every Sunday and we can give an offering and we can serve on a committee and we can, we can serve in some missions um, organization and we can, uh, we can be busy doing stuff. And yet we have sin that we've never dealt with. We have sin that we play around with. We have sin that we hide from most people. And we, we, treat, we come here on Sunday morning looking all sharp, right? Looking all nice. And yet inside there's stuff that we've never dealt with and we've hidden it from people. And Jesus says, if we want to see revival, it starts with us as the people of God, being honest and real about our sin. That we recognize the sin that holds us down, that easily ensnares us, that trips us, us that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do in our life. And we're real about it. And we, we go to before a holy God and say, forgive us of our sins. Free us from our sins. But then second, not only just free us of our sins, but it says to, that we wouldn't be overcome by temptation, that we, would, that we would see the temptation when it's coming, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, and we see the way of escape. 
We see the off-ramp to our temptation. So when temptation comes, we know how to get out of the situation so we're not too tempted of our sins. Not only are we free from sin, we have victory over sin. So if that is who we are, if that is what God wants for us, then we need to be praying on a regular basis as the people of God that we would be real about our sin and be freed from our sin and have victory over our sin so that we would see revival in us. Second, we need to be praying for laborers in the field. Matthew uh, 9, verses 37 and 38. <clears throat> um, Matthew 9, 37 through 38. Uh, give that scripture up there. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We need to be praying for more laborers of the gospel to go to the unbelievers. As a church, we must regularly be praying for more laborers to go into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. There are many souls outside this door who need Jesus. And we need to be praying for more people to be on the ground sharing Jesus with them. And for us, as we're praying for that, the realization is it's us to get out there and to share Christ. We need to be praying that we would get out there and take the love of Christ. Often we think about the person who's going out sharing Christ. And this is going to fall under other one of these examples but we think about it being the person that's behind this pulpit. And we think, oh, they got it. Right? Someone, we're having a conversation with someone about God, and we go, our response is not, let me share the gospel with you. Our response is, why don't you come to church with me? And my pastor will share the gospel with you. Now, we, we all are ambassadors of Christ. Right? Ambassadors of Christ, meaning we speak for God's kingdom, right? An ambassador is someone from another nation who is the speaker for that nation. God has sent us here into this world, sent us here to be his voice, to be the person taking the gospel. We need to be praying that we would be laborers and that there would be more laborers going into the harvest. If we want to see revival, then we have to labor for the gospel. We need to be praying for more laborers. We need to be praying that we would be bold in being a laborer. We need to be confident that he wants to do that in us so that we would get out of these walls and take the gospel to a hurting and broken world. Third, we should be praying for the unbelievers. We should be praying for the unbelievers. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. How often do we just pray for the lost that they would come to Christ? How often do we plead before a holy God and say, I want to see more lost come to Christ? How often do you name specific people in your life that you know don't know Jesus, that you want them to know Jesus, and you, you put their name before God and say, God, I want them to come to Christ, and I want you to use me however you can use me that they would come to Christ. We need to have a heart for the lost. We need to have compassion and love and empathy for the lost. And we need to be praying that we wouldn't come to the lost with judgmental attitudes and condemnation where we're condemning them for every choice they make. We should expect the lost to live differently, to dress differently, to speak differently, to make different choices. Their lives are messy because they've been ravished by sin and they have no rescuer. We need to have a prayer life that we say, God, please give me lost people in my life and give me an opportunity to speak the gospel to them. We need to pray for the lost. And we should expect through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would bring more people into a relationship with God. This point makes me think about the fact that one of the things I feel like we get caught up with, we pray for the lost, but we recognize, I was joking with Debbie this week because my, my word is messy. People are messy, right? 
Let's think about our own lives. We are messy. Right? We are messy people. We, we, we know how to put it all together in front of people, but let's be honest, we're messy people. And as messy people, God has called us to go out into the world to share the gospel with other messy people. And you mix messy people with messy people, you're getting a lot of messy people, right? It's just messy. And it's not clean. And as Christians, so often we like simple, black and white, straight and narrow, give me the right and wrong, exactly what I need to do, exactly what I don't need to do. But it's messy. And so when we start praying for lost people, when we start praying that lost people come to Christ, we should expect him putting us in situations and opening doors for us to share Christ with people, with people that we might feel uncomfortable being around, but we should expect that God would fill us with his love and compassion for them that overseeds our flesh so that we would love them and care for them the way that Jesus loves and care for them. He was the one in the homes of the, the tax collectors. He was in the homes of the prostitutes. He was comfortable around sinners because he loved them and he wanted to see them come to Christ. We need to have that same prayer that we could expect God to rescue lost people and use us to rescue lost people. Fourth, discipleship. We should be praying for discipleship. If lost people are coming to Christ, then they need to be discipled in the truth. And again, that doesn't just end right here at the pulpit. That goes to all of us knowing about Christ and sharing Christ with people and sharing about what to believe and how to live. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, uses this example. Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We should be busy, each of us in this room as Christians, discipling other people. One of the gifts that's happened this year with our group is we've had students who've taken on the call to disciple other students. They've recognized that they, they've been given truth. And I've, as I'm discipling them, they've taken up the mantle and say, well, as you're discipling me, I'm going to disciple other students. And the expectation is as they're discipling other students, those students would then go and disciple other students. And those students would go and disciple other students. And, and somehow as an institutional church, we've, we've created this method of the disciples people means to come into a building and the preacher will disciple you and then there's programs that will disciple you. But Jesus laid out at the end of his gospel, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? And he's sending his disciples his out saying, go and disciple. We've all been given the call to disciple. We need to pray for our discipleship. We need to pray that we be more disciplined in our discipleship, that we would train up believers in what to believe and how to live. Now, let's be honest, before we pray for the, bring up the last two, these first four things is heavy. It's difficult. Let's just be honest about it. If we're, if we're regularly praying to deal with our sin, if we're really praying that we would uh, see us and others go out taking the gospel to the lost, and we're praying for the lost people that they would come to Christ, and we're praying that we can train up lost people as they come to Christ, that we can disciple them in the truth, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And so point five here, sorry about that, point five here, is that as we're doing all this, we need to be praying for strength, for the endurance and patience that's going to come our way. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul is writing to the church there in Colossians and he says may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy we need to be praying for strength with endurance and patience I just said it earlier messy people dealing with messy people it's going to get a little exhausting at times right we exhaust one another we, we, we annoy one another there's conflict with one another. And as we're doing the work of ministry and we're loving people and sharing Christ with people, it's exhausting. We're going to get burned at times. We're going to get hurt at times. We're going to get let down at times. And Jesus is saying, we need to be praying for the strength so we can have the endurance and the patience to do the work that God's given us. 
He's given us a mission, and it's difficult, and it's hard, but we need to be out there doing it, praying that we would see the results from God. We need to pray for the strength to be able to overcome what's going to come our way, because it's not simple. It takes time, and it's uncomfortable, but God wants us to be busy at work, so we need to be praying for the strength to overcome when we want to quit. We, want, we need strength to come our way when we get hurt by someone. And we say, you know what, never mind. They hurt me, I'm done with them. No, we need the strength to persevere so that we can love them and care for them and have patience and endurance through all those difficult times. And then lastly, we need to be praying for wisdom. We mentioned it earlier in James 1, verse 5. But James says that if you, pray, if you, if you, if you lack wisdom, pray for wisdom, and I will give generously. As we as a church are moving forward, right, we've been praying and we've, been, we've had some business meetings and made some decisions to change some stuff. But as we're going forward into the future, we need wisdom. We as a church need to be praying diligently for wisdom from God on where we need to go next. As elders, we gather together and any of the decisions we've made recently have not been easy decisions. We've, we've wrestled with them. We've prayed over them. We want, we want what's best for this church for this community, but ultimately what's best for God and what he wants to do here. And we need wisdom on how to go forward. We need wisdom on where to go next. Because in the end, as we're, as we're making these decisions on, on what we're doing, you know, we, we've wrestled with the platform. We've wrestled with the piano. We've, we've wrestled with the technology. We've wrestled with... Um, what we're going to do with how we're going to function as a church going forward. And all those things are fine and dandy, but in in the end, what we really want to see is for God to do what God's going to do here. We want to see revival in this place. We want to see new life in this place. We want to see salvations in this place. We want to see discipleship in in this place. And wherever God leads us and takes us is far bigger and greater than the things that we've talked about because God wants to do kingdom kind of things. God wants to do things that when we look around, we go, God showed up. And it didn't matter what we had thought of or what we had planned. God showed up, and he did something that he's going to get all the honor and glory for. right? And that's what we need to do as a people of God, is be praying diligently that God's going to answer our prayers, and God's going to do something that's God-sized, that is bigger and greater than us, and that we, we die to ourselves, and we lay down our opinions, and we lay down our thoughts, and we lay down the things, our, our opinions, and what we want, and we say, you know what, I just want God to be here, and God to use us to affect and change this community. And I don't know if you're with me on this, but that's my heart. I want to see God do something in this place that we turn around and go, we never could have ever thought this because God did something. So, so Elaine's going to start playing. We're, we're going to sing at the end. We're going to sing, um, Lord, I need thee. I need thee every hour. And she's just going to play quietly. This, this is what we're going to do to close us, to get us started here. You know, Jesus gives this picture, and he, he laid out a picture where the guy urgently, shamelessly, didn't care what anyone thought, came, before, came to his neighbor and said, here's my needs. If we're honest this morning that we want to see revival, if we're honest this morning that we want to see new life, if we're honest this morning that we expect God to do stuff in here, that's far bigger and greater than we could ever think or imagine. And we want him to do some stuff. But I'm going to ask you to join me this morning to do what, the, the, what Jesus said, to be shameless about our prayer, to be bold about our prayer, to have the nerve with our prayer, and to come front this morning and pray with me. I, I want to see, no, I believe God wants to see us have a heart that so desperately wants God to move in this place that we are just pleading before God, God, we want to see new life 
not bodies in this building. We want to see new believers. We want to see the lost come to Christ. We want to see the Holy Spirit filling people and transforming people from the inside out. If that is where you're at, if you want to see that happen in here today, if you want to see us see that happen in here for years to come, Jason's been preaching saying, you know, we've had a, we're coming up on our 150th anniversary. We're praying for 150 more years. If we want to see that happen, we need revival. We, we need new life. And so as Elaine plays, I'm going to give us a few minutes. And I'm going to ask if you want to join me up front. And we're just going to just lay it before God. And then we're going to pray to God that God would start with us, bring revival in us, and then bring revival in this place. So there's revival in this community. So that there's revival in this country. So there's revival in this world. So let's, let's go before the Lord. Again, if you want to just shamelessly say, God, here I am, and I'm praying for this, come join me up front, and we're going to pray, because I want to see new life here. your children are coming to our Father. We have nowhere else to turn. You are Abba Father, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. You created each and every single person in this room. We are your children. And you loved us before we loved ourselves. Before we were in a thought, you loved us. Lord, we are coming before you this morning with the heart, with the care, with the passion, with the desire, God, that you would use First Baptist Church however you desire to use First Baptist Church. that you would use your people here to be the church outside these walls and to love and to care and to impact this community, that we would be laborers for the gospel, that we, would, that we would take the gospel to this community, that we would love them with the love of Christ, that we would see new life, God. We are praying, God, because we can't manufacture that. We we're praying for new life. We're praying for lost people to come to Christ. We're praying for the lost to be awakened of their sins and awakened for their need of a Savior. God, we're praying for salvation and the salvation of many in this community. God, I pray that you would bring so many salvations and it would fill up all the churches in our community, and that we would need more churches in this community because we have so many people who have tra been transformed by the gospel and the spirit of God is made alive, alive in their life and to the place where they're desperately needing community to worship together. God, we're praying for discipleship. We're praying uh, for strength. We're praying for wisdom. God, we're praying that you would be you and that we would get out of the way. Do a work in this place. Do a work in this place for your honor and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand, we're going to close singing the song. This will be our prayer. I need thee every hour. Let us sing this song before the Lord.
I need.